0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast,
1: but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill,
0: please visit cityonahill.com.au.
1: Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful to be with you this morning, City on a Hill. Hope you are doing well. Uh, great to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name's Guy, and so great that you can join us today. Special greeting to those who are with us online as well. Hey, before we jump into the Bible reading today, uh, we've got some special guests with us. Uh, yeah, there's a whistle in anticipation. Uh, The new lead pastor of City on a Hill, Brisbane, Zach Sargent, is here with his wife, Hannah. I thought we could bring them on up. We could welcome them. Come on up, guys. Great to have you here. Zach and Hannah, down for the weekend. I was in Brisbane for like 90 minutes, two hours on Thursday. It was 27 degrees. (laughs) This morning I walked in and I heard it was seven degrees. You feeling all right? Uh, yeah, enjoying it. Pulled this jacket out of boxes. Um, <laughs> enjoying wearing it. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, uh, it's been a big year. Uh, you've taken on this new role as the lead pastor in Brisbane. I mean, you're working there as a student minister for some years. Uh, background, you're serving as a pastor in Dubbo. Um, tell us a little bit of what's it felt like for you uh, to take on the new role as the lead pastor at Brisbane.
1: Uh, yeah, Paul is really helping me to articulate that as we've walked through 2 mm-hmm. Corinthians. Uh, the language of insufficient but made sufficient through mm-hmm. the gospel, through the work of Christ in us. That is exactly what has been taking place in our hearts, in our lives uh, and in our church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Very, very encouraged by the work that God is doing uh, through his spirit, through the gospel yeah. uh, and yeah, seeing him make us into who he has called us to be. Mm.
0: Yeah. We, we had dinner last night, and great to connect with you, Hannah, and um, hear more about your story and your love for Jesus. Do you want to share with us what, what's encouraged you in terms of the church in, in Brisbane? How are you seeing God yeah. at work there?
1: Uh, what we're really passionate about is people doing week to week together so not just Mm. the Sunday so it's been really great to see women especially um, be passionate about discipleship Mm. during the week and we've actually seen a lot of um, intergenerational relationships form and happen Um, so we've got yeah older with younger and like there's a lot of mums a lot of young mums in our church real baby boom so having yeah support um, from all generations um, week to week has been really encouraging
0: yeah Awesome. Well, we are so very thankful for you guys. Great that you could spend a weekend with us in Melbourne. Uh, We love you guys. We appreciate uh, the responsibility you have. And Zach, you know, it's a big uh, responsibility and calling uh, to lead. And just, it's been wonderful. I've visited Brisbane this year a few times. Just love seeing how the church has really rallied around and are so thankful for how God's at work in your midst. So why don't I pray for these guys? Uh, If you could stretch out a hand, a sign of solidarity as we unite in uh, giving thanks. Father, thank you so much for Zach uh, and And I thank you for your goodness and your grace in their life. Um, Wonderful, Lord, that uh, we see your spirit at work uh, in in bringing them to know Jesus, uh, to be secure in who Christ is, and that you have indeed uh, set them apart. Um, to, to lead and to serve. And I just thank you for the ways in which they both shine the light of the gospel. I thank you for the ways in which community is established in Brisbane, that people are going deep in discipleship. Uh, thank you, Lord God, that people are coming to know Jesus. And we pray for more of that, Lord, more of your spirit, more of your love, more of your truth, uh, more of your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you're at work. Uh, thank you for the promise that Jesus is the one who builds the church. And so we want to give Jesus all the glory and all the honor. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus and all of God's people. Say one super loud voice. Amen. 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 Let's put our hands together and thank, thank these guys. So um, imagine you're scrolling through the classified section of a newspaper, uh, if newspapers even exist these days. Do they exist? Yeah, of course they do. Online they do. So imagine you're scrolling through the classified section and you come across this colorful uh, ad. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter gold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Uh, There was actually a British woman who uh, claimed she was going to put this forward as her uh, dating ad. Men wanted for Hazardous Journey. As, of course, you know, uh, the original ad is attributed to the great explorer, Ernest uh, Shackleton. Who remembers studying Ernest Shackleton as a kid at school? Okay, a few hands. Uh, Shackleton is famous today for his uh, Antarctic expeditions in 1914 to 1917. And the story goes that to build this expedition team, he put out this ad in the London Times And it's an interesting pitch, isn't it? Because if you were to be looking through seek.com and look at another job ad, you'd probably come across most ads where they're pumping up the organization, telling how amazing the, the company is, and they'd probably tell you how amazing the job is and the amazing person that they're looking for. But but note, note the pitch. Note, note that what uh, Ernest is underscoring here. Uh, hazardous conditions. Bitter cold, small wages, long months of complete darkness. You say, who would sign up for this? Apparently, thousands. Apparently, the story goes, 5,000 men from across Europe were sending in their letters and their resumes, clamoring for the opportunity to be part of this icy expedition. What does that tell you? I think it tells us that many of us are hungry for adventure. Many of us are eager for a big, bold experience. Uh, that actually, when it, when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to our purpose, when it comes to our life, uh, we don't necessarily want safety and comfort. We want to be part of something bigger. We want to make a difference in this World and, and that's significant. Why? Because today, well, we're continuing our series, Jars of Clay, looking at Paul's letter to the early church in Corinth. And as we look at the Bible, we're going to discover that Jesus' people are invited to be part of a big mission and indeed a great adventure. Uh, it isn't safe. We're going to discover that it isn't easy. Those who take up the call will face harsh conditions. There will be danger at every turn. And yet there is a promise. And that is that you get to be part of something bigger. Something that's going to echo for all eternity. So if you've got a Bible handy, why don't you go and grab it. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I've titled this morning's message, Wanted ordinary people, wanted ordinary people. Look with me to verse 7. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So one of the themes you would have picked up throughout our series thus far is that the city of Corinth was known for its affluence and its wealth. In the first century, Corinth was one of the more prestigious cities in all of ancient Greece. Uh, Incredible buildings, uh, grand. Temples, a huge investment in uh, world class entertainment, fine food, fine dining. Uh, it was also revered for its kind of high end fashion and luxury living. If you uh, imagine for a moment the Paris end of uh, Collins Street, you know, people enjoying long lunches at Voudemonde in their Armani suits and Gucci slippers, right? That's Corinth. It was this affluent, prestigious city. And, And this culture of affluence and appearance has taken hold in the church. Many... Many Christians in this church became so enthralled by outward appearance, they started to turn up their nose at pastors like Paul. They preferred leaders who were affluent. They preferred teachers with a string of academic credentials. They preferred powerful leaders who all had the outward signs of success. But what was Paul? Paul was remarkably unimpressive. He wasn't rich, he was broke, often shipwrecked, his preaching, simple, straight to the point, his writing, hard to understand, his appearance, we can't be sure, (laughs) but there was one author from the second century who describes Paul, and I quote, as... A bald headed, bow legged short man with a big nose and an unbroken eyebrow that lay across his forehead like a dead caterpillar. How's that for your bio on Tinder, right? Like, (laughs) swipe left. Right? In the eyes of the world, Paul is a three out of 10. You know what I love about Paul? Instead of getting all defensive, he doubles down. He says, You know what? I'm not that impressive. I'm actually really ordinary. Do you know who I really am? Do you know who we all are in Jesus? We are jars of clay. You want to know who you are? Who we are in Christ. We are jars of clay. When Paul talks about being a jar of clay, he is using a metaphor to describe his body and his life here and now. We are jars of clay. What is a jar of clay, you might ask? Well, in the first century, it's helpful to know that a jar of clay was a cheap and common household item. It was cheap and it was common. It was not a jar of clay. It was not your prized possession that you would place on the mantle for people to admire as an ornament. You, you, they were cheap. They were ordinary. They were unimpressive. They had a job, and what was that job? To carry stuff. What is the modern day equivalent here of a jar of clay? Tupperware, maybe. Having said that, I've met some people who are really into their Tupperware. They probably would put it on their mantle. Someone else said, which I think was helpful, the modern-day equivalent of jar of clay is a plastic bag. A plastic bag. It carries stuff, right? But no one is here today. Come on. No one is admiring a plastic bag. No one here today has framed a plastic bag and put it on their wall and invited their friends over to admire the plastic bag. It's, it's unimpressive, and yet it has a purpose. Jars of clay have a purpose, and that is crucial. That's the key for Paul. Verse 7, we have this, what's that word? Treasure. We can do better than that. Come on. We have this Treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. When I think of treasure, I'm like my mind immediately jumps to diamonds and rubies. I think of enough cash to pay off my mortgage and enough gold to last a lifetime. Of course, we can treasure all kinds of things, can't we, in this world? We can treasure our careers. We can treasure our sports. We can treasure our relationships. But what is the treasure that Paul carries in this jar of clay? He's talking about the gospel of Jesus. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus. Verse 5, Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but... Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When Paul talks about treasure, he is talking, listen, he is talking about the light and love of Jesus. He's talking about the fact that there is forgiveness in Jesus, He's talking about the good news that he doesn't need to work now for his righteousness. That was dead, and we talked about that last week. No, in Jesus, there is the righteousness of God. He is now reconciled to God, forgiven. There is now no shame. There is no condemnation. He's one with God. God's approval, God's honor, God's value, God's glory rests in him. He knows Jesus. That's the treasure of infinite worth. That's the treasure that the man found in a field and with joy sold all he had to to get that field. That's the treasure and that's what gives Paul so much joy in this life because he knows this treasure. He enjoys this treasure and as an apostle... He gets to share and take this treasure and let it shine. He loves Jesus. He's passionate about Jesus. It's not about Paul. It's not about his academic credentials. He's not in this for self-gain, self-promotion. It's not about any of that. It's all about Jesus. Everything is all about Jesus. And this should encourage you today sitting on a hill. A world. Listen, listen, we are living in a world that is desperately trying you to find value in other things, temporal things. Your appearance. How do you look? Your job. Where do you work? And where in your company are you? And and who's in your life? You married? You single? Do you have kids? Like so many things, right? They're good things, but so many things the world is going to want you to anchor your life and your value in. Make your treasure in these things. The gospel is good news. We can enjoy jobs and work and relationships, but our true and ultimate treasure is where it's in Jesus. We exist to know this Jesus and we exist to make this Jesus known. We get to carry the treasure, the glory of heaven in this ordinary jar of clay. What else is fascinating About this image, a jar of clay is not only cheap and unimpressive; uh, they can also be broken. It doesn't take much for a jar of clay to be knocked over and just to shatter on the floor. It can be broken, and Paul, listen, Paul is making the point that our bodies and our life on this side of heaven they are fragile. We are all, listen, prone to being knocked over, prone to having the pieces of our life scatter on the floor. If you cast your eyes over verses 8 through 10, you'll see that Paul doesn't hold back in using very vivid language to describe his ministry experience, his life experience. He saw so many, many miracles, and we could talk about the great moments Revival and healings and teaching and breakthrough. But notice, he doesn't hold back in talking about the hardship. Verses 8 to 10, uh, uh, he confesses times he felt crushed. Times he was struck down. In verse 8, Paul says he's been afflicted in every way. Afflicted in every way. Way, do you relate to that? Have there been moments in your life where you felt crushed? Has there been moments in your life where you have felt struck down? Has there been moments in your life that you have felt afflicted? Of course, because you, like Paul, like me, like everybody on planet Earth, know that this world's challenging. Life is brutal. It has a way, doesn't it? Of you can be settled in life. You could have your place in life. It doesn't take much to knock you over and to see those pieces come apart. And interestingly, how he says he's been afflicted in every way. It's like he's covering every aspect of our experience. You know, we experience brokenness in every way. We experience it physically, don't we? We experience brokenness physically. I mean, have you ever ran through the house with bare feet and stepped on your kid's Lego? Or stubbed your toe in the corner of a bench? Right? These are just subtle reminders that we're fragile and that we feel and that we hurt. Sometimes we can hurt suddenly and unexpectedly. Sometimes, some of you have experienced physical pain for years. Sickness, disease, breaking of bones, the loss of movement in our limbs. Look, we all... Almost all of us are born into this world with energy and vitality, and we're growing and we're strong. But as Paul identifies in verse 16 or 18, we are all wasting away. Our bodies waste away. We we are broken physically. Uh, Brokenness is also experienced, though, isn't it, in our minds? Just as our bodies can experience pain and suffering, so our minds, which are connected to and part of our bodies, are vulnerable, vulnerable to pain, distress. According to a report from the ABS in 2020, 4.4 million Australians experience anxiety. A further 3 million suffer depression. And that demographic, uh, the demographic most susceptible, are those ages 18 to 24. And COVID just. Exacerbated that as we saw a whole generation of people Plummeting into a sea of anxiety and self-condemnation Brokenness is experienced physically, mentally It's also experienced relationally and emotionally When it comes to relationships You could give me a broken leg over a broken heart any day of the week Why? Because we're made for relationships. We're made for intimacy and connection. We're made for trust and unity. And yet when that breaks, it leaves a wound that endures. Brokenness is experienced physically, mentally, relationally, emotionally. And then alongside all of that, we also suffer spiritually Paul says that in his ministry, his battle was not just against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that wage war. Every day in his ministry, there was physical battles, emotional battles, mental battles, but also spiritual battles, spiritual attacks. The point in all of this is that we, listen, you and I, we are living In a world, on this side of heaven, of constant struggle. A world where we, like the Apostle Paul, face hardship and adversity. A world of trial and affliction. A world where suffering is inevitable. And I want to underscore that. Because some of you know people who grew up in very sheltered lives. Parents were so protective that they bubble-wrapped their kids. They were never allowed to do anything. Um, Never allowed to do anything risky or dangerous. Never able to climb a tree, climb a mountain. They go to a playground. The parent is there like a drone hovering over them just in case they fall. That may appear loving, but it does nothing to prepare them for the realities of life. Why? Because eventually the bubble wrap has to come off. It may happen at 16, 26, 36, but eventually the bubble wrap comes off, and the man child or the woman child is so fragile that they are unprepared for the tsunami of challenges that they are about to walk into. This happens in homes, this happens in schools. You know where else it happens? The church. The church is supposed to be a city where we equip, build, strengthen people to live bold, adventurous, costly, sacrificial, risky, adventurous lives. And yet what has happened in our generation is a shift from that to this consumeristic, comfortable, holy huddle... Where we share cups of tea, nothing against City on Hill Lounge. I love that time. But there's no adventure. There's no boldness. It's just this comfortable, warm, cozy club. And preachers just feed into that, don't they? They're going to tell you stupid things like, hey, don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your finances. Don't worry about your health. Trust in Jesus, just have a spoonful of faith, and he'll make it easy for you, comfortable for you. You know what that is? Bubble wrap theology does nothing to prepare people for the reality of life, the inevitability of suffering. I love this quote from the movie... um, Oh, what is that name of that movie? Is it Mary Poppins? I don't know. Let's, oh, Saving Mr. Banks. It's about Mary Poppins. Who Remember this movie? right? Great, great quote in this. Uh, so Walt Disney is trying to buy the rights to the book Mary Poppins. And yet the original author, uh, a woman named P.L. Travis, is frustrated by Disney's constant attempt to turn Mary Poppins into a light and fluffy story. She's fed up with the rainbows and the lollipops. She's fed up with the bubble wrap. And so she confronts Mr. Disney. And what does she say? She says this. Unlike yourself, Mary Poppins is the very enemy of whimsy and sentiment. She's truthful. She doesn't sugarcoat the darkness in the world that these children will eventually, inevitably, come to know. She prepares them for it. She deals in honesty. One must clean one's room. It won't magically do it by itself. This entire script is flim flammed. Where is its heart? Where is its reality? Where is the gravitas? City on a hill. The Bible is truthful. The Bible is truthful. God is truthful. God doesn't sugarcoat the darkness. He doesn't blind you from the reality. Paul is crystal clear. The Bible is crystal clear. You are a jar of clay. And what that means is that you are not as impressive as you think you are. And you can and you will break. In this life, you will be pushed back. You will, as Paul says, be afflicted in every way. You'll have people say mean things to you and mean things about you. You'll have a job that isn't always satisfying. You'll have a boss who isn't always caring. You'll have people you care about stab you in the back. You'll have your own mind and body turn against you. Is life all bad? No, but it's not all good either. On this side of heaven, there is that tension, isn't it? That, that tale of two cities, of beauty, but also brokenness. But you know what's striking about Paul? You know what sets him apart from the rest? It's that despite all that Paul has been through, all that he's going through, he never, ever loses sight of Jesus and the hope that we have in him. It's one of my favorite texts in Scripture, verse 8. Check this out. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In Jesus, I am afflicted, persecuted, struck down, but never crushed. Never driven to despair, never destroyed. What does that mean? It means that despite our affliction, there is never an ultimate defeat, never a final or complete loss. Life is hard, but there is never a moment Paul throws in the towel or gives up. He keeps fighting, he keeps running, he keeps serving, he keeps praying, he keeps preaching. In times of prosperity or in times of pain, he keeps his eyes on Jesus. And so then ask yourself, what allowed him? What inspired him? What enabled and empowered him to stand strong under severe challenge? Well, for one, Paul understood that suffering always has a way of drawing us closer to God. He understood that. Remember what Paul said about his suffering in chapter one? He says, I despise life, right? He went through some hardship, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Why did I suffer? That I might not rely on myself, but maybe drawn in dependence to God. I spoke to a woman last week who's uh, navigating a very painful breakdown Uh, in her marriage, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. What struck me was her response. Her suffering is real. The breaking down is painful. But instead of raising her fists at heaven, she was sharing with me how her suffering has led to this deep desire for constant prayer, this desire now to pray big prayers, to get other people to come around her to pray. She's praying boldly. She's praying desperately because she knows that no matter what she's going through, God is there. Lewis puts this well. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The other point about suffering, I'm sure you know this, it it, it has a unique way, doesn't it, of shaping our character and building our spiritual muscle. So last week, we looked at that glorious text where he talks about us all being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. But have you ever asked yourself the question, how does God do that? How does God build Christ-like love in your life? How does he establish and fashion Christ-like humility in your life? How does he establish deep, abiding love and faith? Read the Bible, learn from Christian community, pray, seek out a spiritual mentor, yes, yes, and amen. But what do you feel is the greatest agent for change? You may be surprised to hear this, but I'm convinced that in the hand of God, there is no greater tutor than pain or suffering. I'm not sure who said this first, but hard times produce strong men, strong men produce good times, good times produce weak men, and weak men produce hard times. (laughs) The Apostle Paul said it even better. He says, we glory in our sufferings. Why, Paul? How could you glory in it? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. My son is um, 13 years of age. Uh, He's really into the gym and uh, working out and all of that stuff. Um, He's wanting to build muscle. He's wanting to grow up. And in fact, Ness and I awoke a couple weeks ago. Uh, It was 5 a.m. in the morning, pitch black dark, cold, uh, and we could hear him outside uh, running his own boxer size routine, <laughs> right? And we don't have a punching bag. So he's got the gloves. He's just hitting the tree, just working out. And on the very rare occasion that I've gone, to him, uh, gone with him to the gym, it's terribly embarrassing because uh, he's fit and I'm old and he calls me out. It's like, you're not pushing hard enough. You're not lifting enough. You're barely breaking a sweat, dad. Why is that a problem? Why not go to the gym and just lift the lightest possible weights you can? Why not take the comfortable and easy path? Because we all know that muscles are built through resistance. To build a muscle up, you must break it down. You know what's true in the natural world is true spiritually as well. You go through a bad breakup, oh, it hurts. It breaks you down. But in Christ, in Christ, you can learn. You can learn not only about relationships, but about yourself, about your God. You, you can be built up. You go through a falling out with your work. Maybe you didn't get the promotion you think you deserve. Maybe you were shown the door and it crushed you. You felt as if everything fell to pieces. But in Christ, you draw closer to God. You begin to establish and see new things in yourself, deeper trust, deeper empathy, deeper courage, deeper dependence on God. Listen, whether you go through seasons of loss or suffering, whether you go through a betrayal or even your own sin, it need not be wasted. If you don't give in, if you choose to keep going, if you choose to take those broken pieces and entrust them in the hands of God, God can make you stronger. God can make you more beautiful. God can bring a new depth in you and God will help the gospel shine through. Right, isn't that what Paul means in verse 10? He says, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Do you see what Paul is saying? When you are afflicted but not crushed, When you are struck down but not destroyed, you show the world the surpassing greatness of Jesus. You show the world that he is a treasure worth infinitely more than anything else. Listen, very few people are moved today by the Christian who treats Jesus like a nice add-on to their already comfortable life. But a Christian who suffers well A Christian who has experienced injustice, a painful divorce, a Christian who loses their job, their home, their health, and still treasures Jesus, that's a light that shines so brightly. Do you know most historians, when they study the early church, it's clear that the Christians multiplied and expanded in this unheard of way. There was so much transformation, so many people. In the book of Acts we're told that God added to their number every single day and historians are trying to work out. Why was that? When you could point to the radical generosity, you could talk about the, the diversity and the rich community, you could talk about the signs and wonders. Clearly they were all at play, but you know what most historians will point out? It's that The first century had never seen a people who were courageous, hopeful in the face of death. They suffered well. They had a treasure that surpassed the challenges, the difficulties of this present age. You remember Paul and Silas in Philippi, listen to this, attacked by the crowd... They were then stripped naked by the magistrates. They were given, there was orders given to have them beaten. They were then thrown in prison, and not just in the prison, they were taken into the inner cells where their feet were locked to the ground. All right? That's a bad day. I know we've all had bad days. That's a bad day. Do you know what the other prisoners heard from those two Christians that day? Was it fits of rage? Outbursts of anger, claims for their rights. No, what did they hear? Paul and Silas singing. <laughs> right? You can look this up. It's in the Bible. <laughs> in the midst of their suffering, they begin to sing. They begin to worship. They begin to praise God. Who does that? Christians. Christians. Christians have a way of singing in the storm. Christians have a way of singing in the storm. Brenton, remember, I was like, I don't know now, like last year at my house, we had a bunch of men over at our house for a men's night. Can't remember how many people were there. It was a lot of dudes, but it was bucketing rain, sheets of rain. And yet in the midst of that, a very special moment. The guys started to sing and to worship and to praise Jesus in the midst of the storm. The next day, the neighbor reaches out to say that she heard the sound of the men singing, decided to turn off her TV to... listen in how good is to sing in the midst of the storm listen Christians are both the most honest when it comes to the hardship and suffering and difficulty in life we're the most honest because we know it's real and we are the most hopeful the most hopeful because we have this treasure in a jar of clay. As Paul says in verse 16, we don't lose heart. We don't give in. We aren't driven to despair, for we know, as verse 17 says, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Suffering is real, but so is our hope in Jesus. We will waste away. You will die but death will not have the final word. You need to realize that a day is coming when God will make all things new. And it is this hope we have that gives us courage for now. Paul was gripped by the promise of eternity, but he doesn't spend his days sitting on his hands waiting for the end. He's out there. He's embracing the mission. He's enjoying the adventure. He's embracing the struggle. He's facing the fight. Because he knew, as I hope you know, that we are part of a mission. We're not just here waiting for the end of all things. Jesus says, go, make disciples. We're here to know Jesus and make him known. We're here to declare to the world the good news of his forgiveness. We're to declare to the world the good news of his righteousness. We're to declare to the world the good news of this treasure we have. Whether we're talking about our jobs, our family, our friends, our children, our talents, our relationships, our networks, the goal of life is not to make much of yourself. It's to make much of Jesus You don't need to be out there in the world trying to prove your worth based on what you have or what you do or where you are on the org chart. That is all but a means of grace that God has given you to make much of Jesus. I'm not saying you need to be a preacher or to plant a church, though if you want to come and talk to me afterwards, what I am saying is that in your day, in every way, in every job, in every relationship, you exist not ultimately to make much of yourself, but to make much of Jesus. That is the heartbeat of your life. That's got to be the heartbeat of this church. I, I've been the pastor here for now 15, 15 years we've been gone. Is that right? 16, almost 16 years. Sweet 16. All right. Incredible to see how God's been at work. Never would have anticipated this much fruit, this many people coming to know Jesus. Uh, churches being planted. Um, I think there are like nine, almost 10 churches. And yet, you know what I love so much about this church is that the men and women I get to rub shoulders with every single day, man, not just competent and gifted and all of those great things. There's a heart in this church to know Jesus and make Jesus known. That's what binds us together. That's why we're here. We're not about us. We're about Jesus. And we've got to keep being about Jesus. It's why we exist. Our music ministry. We heard about it today. Our youth ministry. Our ministry to the to homeless in the city. The, those, the men and women who are visiting the elderly. The, the kids program. Our gospel communities. Look, the one central thing that brings us together Is a mission to know Jesus and make Jesus known. We won't always get that right, but we're going to keep ringing that bell. And get this, because Jesus is the focus, because we are jars of clay, you don't have to be great to be used in a powerful way. You have heard today, and you have seen in the text yourself, that God isn't a scout looking for superstar Christians. You don't have to be uber smart. You don't have to be double good looking. You don't have to be super talented. You don't need to be super anything. You just need to be open, available and obedient to his call you need to avail yourself like a jar of clay and says, I have a role and that's to carry the treasure of Jesus. It doesn't matter how cheap and ordinary and unimpressive I am. It doesn't matter that I've got a few dings and dints. It doesn't matter that I've fallen, I've stumbled, I've got a few cracks. What matters is that you're open and you're available to the treasure that is Jesus. I, The Bible is going to show you this time and time again because we're so proud of we get so caught up in what we are, and, who, and the Bible's going to show you time and time again that God delights in choosing the foolish things of this world. Moses, who do you pick to stand against the might of Pharaoh and to call God's glory down? Who do you pick? A wandering murderer who had a stutter problem. Of all that God could pick, David, King David. David. Small, overlooked by his own dad, unimpressive. Esther, raised by her cousin, small in the eyes of a huge kingdom. And yet time and time and time again, we see God raising up jars of clay, jars of clay, when I became a Christian as a teenager at the time, I, I desperately wanted to be used by God. I was gripped by wanting to know Jesus and making Jesus known. I can vividly remember coming forward in my own house and at churches and saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. And yet at the same time, I would always pray that prayer. I would be internally held back by my own sin, my own weakness, my own inabilities. I remember the first time walking into Bible college feeling completely out of my depth, like I wanted to run back into the car and leave. No one in my family had ever finished high school. Here I am in a classroom where everybody was ridiculously uber smart. Like they're quoting the Bible in Hebrew, in Greek. I'm reading a Bible that had pictures, right? I worked hard. Uh, I didn't finish at the top of my class. I didn't win any awards. I wasn't the greatest preacher in my class. I just fumbled my way through. My own lecturer told me not to plant a church because it was likely to fail. So on the outside, you might have seen a very confident, outgoing personality, but on the inside, man, just self-doubt. Self-ridicule, comparing, contrasting. Here's what I've come to see. I've served in ministry and got to know so many other leaders and observed so many women and men who are used by God in the church and used by God in the marketplace. I've studied the Bible. I've surveyed church history. And as I've seen God at work in this very church, in your life, I've come to see that God doesn't choose like man chooses. His job ad is really different. It's been said before but I love this. Noah was a drunk. Abraham too old. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer. Miriam was a gossip. Rahab was a prostitute. Naomi was a widow. David had an affair. Isaac uh, Isaiah preached naked. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. <laughs> Jonah ran from God. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a warrior. Timothy, too young. Joshua, too old. Zacchaeus, too small. Lazarus, too dead. And yet God used them all. So, what is your excuse? Your weakness isn't a liability. You carry inside you the spirit of God, the treasure of heaven, the glory of all the angels. How good it is to know that God can take ordinary broken vessels to do his extraordinary will. He isn't looking for a perfect vessel. He's looking for people who are available, who are open, who are prepared to come to him and say, hey, I'm empty. Would you fill me and use me? As the band comes up, um, this week, uh, I was so encouraged by a post from uh, Ravina, who's with us this morning. Uh, She was baptized uh, amongst um, many in Melbourne, across all of our churches, and loved her words that she shared this week on her baptism. She says, I'm so glad and honored to have had the opportunity to publicly declare my recommitment and reunion with God and his people. I shared my story, which is ultimately his story. I felt vulnerable, but there is a power in being vulnerable and not being afraid to show weakness, especially when we have a God that works his power and shows his strength through it. I'm not an accident. My story is not an accident. I wish parts of it did not happen, but if it didn't, then I wouldn't be all that I am today. So I thank God for the good, the bad, and the ugly. As it is for his glory, he allowed it and knew I would come out stronger and come back to him through it. I'm no longer a victim, but victorious. No longer engulfed by darkness as he showed me the light. Praise God. Praise God. You may be here today feeling a little beaten up by life. You may look in the mirror, feel a little ordinary and unimpressive. You may feel overwhelmed. I want you to know that no matter where you have been, what you have... Been going through that we worship a God who loves us, cares for us, sent Jesus to die, rise for us. He wants to meet you today. He wants to use us as instruments of his glory and his goodness. He's looking for a people who are open and available and ready. How might God be at work in your life this week? What might he do in and through you this week? Where is there a moment to step out with that courage, that boldness? Yes, it's going to be risky. You might face some challenge, some harsh conditions. No better place to be than in the presence of God. No greater life than to step out. Ordinary, weak, broken. Alive in the treasure that is Jesus. One of the things I love to do when I pray is to put out my hands like this, it's a posture of dependence and availability. So I want to invite you to stand, and if you want to join me in that posture, I encourage you to do that as I pray. Father in heaven, love you so much. Thank you that. Jesus for us, our rock, our foundation, our treasure. In this room, Father, pray for us, pray for us that for the men and women here today who are feeling ordinary, who are battling their own insecurity, maybe they've been struck down, maybe they've done some stupid things, you know, Lord, give us eyes to see Jesus give his hearts to receive his love this morning. And would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Lord, I'm praying in faith that this week you would advance the gospel in new and powerful ways. I'm praying this week, Lord, that you would fill these men and women right now with your spirit, that they would do the courageous thing, the costly thing, the hard thing. And that through that, you would advance your light and your love. Help us to be a people who suffer well. Help us to be a people who proclaim the gospel boldly. Help us to be a people who are prepared to push back the darkness with light. Give us all that we need, Lord, to do the work that you have called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.